We're continuing in our John series, and this is John chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. It's the 28th part of our series. And my title today is, my goal rather today, actually let's go back into the title. The title is, Our Destiny to Receive and Give Divine Love. And we'll see what that means by the time we get to the end. So the goal is to be deeply moved and touched that we are loved so much. To be awed by our destiny and to know how we can respond. My plan for today is we'll have a quick walk through the whole prayer in John 17, because we're at the end of it now. And then we'll look at the first few verses in verse, uh, the first verses we're going to look at, which is John chapter 17, verse 24. And that's Jesus prays for his heart's desire. And then verses 25 and 26, which is the father's desire to be known. I don't know if I've ever preached on so few verses. So, but I think it's worth it because there's so much in here. So quick overview, structure of John falls into two halves, one to 12. We call the book of signs. It's Jesus' public ministry where he's doing the miracles and the teaching. And then 13 to 21, the book of glory, where Jesus is alone with his disciples for the first half, has a meal with them, and then gives them some teaching that's just them. And then uh, the second part of the book of glory, his arrest, crucifixion and resurrection, and then ends with a meal with the disciples. And now I'm going to go through the prayers that we've had so far quickly in John 17. So we began with Jesus saying, I've completed your mission, Father, and brought eternal life to humanity. So the time has come for me to come back to your side in glory. Then we come to second part, second prayer. You entrusted me with your loved ones. So I gave them your words and they received them. I pray for them now because they belong to us both. Third prayer. Now I'm leaving them. Please keep them safe and especially give them the kind of unity that we have. And the disciples would have been hearing these prayers because Jesus was doing it in front of them. And I, I can, I'm sure they were so touched to hear Jesus care that he was passing them to the Father. He wanted them to be safe and he wanted them to have this unity. Then we have the fourth prayer. And this is a little transition now because he begins by saying the world's going to hate them, but Don't take them out of the world. Rather, keep them safe in the world. Why are they not to be taken out? Why are they to be kept safe? And then that takes us to the fifth prayer. Because they are to be sent. They're to be sent out. Dedicate them to the truth and send them out to continue the mission that you sent me on. And so this is a transitional point here where we see a sense of our destiny being given to us, that we are the ones now who take over where Jesus finished. And then last time we looked at the sixth prayer. And as the mission grows, may the world see their love and unity 
and so believe in your love. And so this is this is quite extraordinary, this prayer. And uh, this is uh, in some ways, this is the high point of the whole of Jesus prayers, because he's given us the hardest task, but almost the most wonderful task to demonstrate to the world a love and a unity that can only be supernatural and must have then have come from the Father. And so we are the ones to take on this task from Jesus of showing the love of God to this world. What an incredible task that we have. Today's one. Finally, I want them to be with me forever, seeing your true character and enveloped in our love. So just briefly, last time we ended with a response to prayer six, where we need to recognize how important this love is, this greatest task of your life. And this was the challenge that this is a task that you have, the greatest task that you have to to love in this way. And you have to ask God to show you who to love and how to love. And most of all, tap into his love, because unless this is supernatural, it's not going to fulfill what Jesus wants it to, which is showing the father's love to the world. So this then is the greatest task that you can have. So that was uh, the first part of the three parts we have today. The second part, I'd like to look at Jesus' prayer for his heart's desire. And uh, what I'd like to do is, uh, as just as we come to the, the conclusion of this prayer, we see that Jesus is asking for something that's very personal for himself. He's, he's making a prayer for himself. So let's step now into this passage and see what these words are. And at the top, you can see what we did last time. And then we're going to go into verse 24 this time. Father, those that you gave me, I desire that where I am, they also may be with me. That they may see my glory. So those are the two desires that he has, that where I am, they may be with me, that they may see my glory that you gave me. Because you have loved me before the creation of the world. And then we're going to read it now, but I'll talk about it later. O righteous father, even if the world does not know you, I know you. And these ones know that you sent me. I made known to these ones your name and will continue to make it known. So the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I may be in them. Jesus then in verse 24 says he desires something. This is his request. That word desire is the same word as used earlier in John, where Jesus speaks to the man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years and said, do you desire to be healed? It's the same word. So here's something that within Jesus, he he wants this. And um, these, these verses mean so much to me as I read them, because I realize as I read them that Jesus wants me. He wants you. We are his desire 
This is just amazing. And I hope that these verses deeply touch you this morning because they are so powerful. They're so important. What does it mean that they will see my glory? He says, I want them to be with me, that they will see my glory. Well, um, I, if, if you love someone, then you want to share something of yourself with them. Particularly, you want to show them special things about yourself. And it's a very common trope in stories, legends, uh, that um, through the ages, there's a member of royalty and they dress up as a common person they mix with people and then they fall in love with somebody. And then this, they bring this common person back in to royalty and they, they're with them, uh, on the throne. And, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I looked at like, have it, has this actually played out in, in, in places? Well, there's a, a story I read that, um, there was a sick, uh, 16 year old, sorry, 18 year old, a Greek sailor called Philip. And uh, he was studying at the Royal Navy College in England. And it was uh, planned there'd be a royal visit to his college. But the problem was that as the day approached, there was an outbreak of mumps and chickenpox. And most of the sailors were were um, totally out of action. And so he was chosen uh, while the grown-ups were being shown everything that there were a couple of young girls that he was he and another guy were to to look after and to make sure they were okay and uh, so uh, he impressed these girls by his ability to jump over a tennis net and um, and one of the older one who's called Elizabeth was particularly impressed by his the number of shrimps he ate later and his his ability to eat banana splits anyway um this uh the older one who was um 13 at the time uh she stayed in contact with him and uh they they kept in contact and they wrote to each other and uh eventually they developed a relationship and eventually they were married and you may recognize that couple it was the wedding of the century queen elizabeth ii marrying prince philip uh, another story, um, there was a, uh, let's, uh, another story, there was a, a, there's a tiny kingdom of Bhutan where there was a seven-year-old girl, Jetson Pema, and she was told by her family that she'd been invited to a special picnic. So they went to the picnic and she's a precocious seven-year-old and there's a teenage boy. She she likes the look of him and she goes up to him and grabs him by the hand and says, I want you to marry me. Well, like as a teenage boy, he doesn't know what to say. He says, why do you say that? And he says, she says, because I like you. I mean, of course. Anyway, he thinks and he says, well, I'll tell you what, um, when we're both grown up, um, if we're both single and we fall in love, I'll marry you. So time went on and she went through her studies. She actually went to England, did an undergraduate in England. And at the end of that, she met him again and they fell in love and they got married. And what was this was uh, this this happened in 2011. And when they were married, they had a ceremony where um he, uh, he climbed down from his throne. 
He put a crown on his he- her head and then he led her up to a throne next to his. And so he is enjoying, she is enjoying the glory that he had. And so uh, I'm telling, why am I telling these stories? Because I'm trying to awaken something in you of the something there of this amazing thing that we're going to be with Jesus in glory. And he wants to show us this. And although these stories are a pale comparison of the reality of what we have and will have in Christ, yet I'm telling you because um, I want you to be moved. I want you to be moved by what Jesus is saying at this time. Let's go back and look at those verses again that Jesus gives to us. Father, those that you gave me, I desire that where I am, they also may be with me, that they may see my glory that you gave me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. That is just so amazing to me. And, you know, my, my heart, partly I can hardly believe this is, this is true, but Jesus is saying it. And partly I'm just caught up in the wonder that he should love me like this and invite me into such a destiny. So how do we respond to Jesus' love? I've got a couple of suggestions. The first thing is simply receive and believe his love. Just simply take it. Accept it. What pleased Jesus most when he was on earth was when people simply believed him. That's what he loved. So I suggest that you believe him. You believe this love. You take it in. Jesus wants you with him. So even now, why not spend time with him? Spend more time with him. When you come to pray, you come to read his word. Remember, this is the Jesus who just loves your company and wants you to be with him. What an incentive to spend time with him. As I've read these words, this has moved me to want to spend more time with Jesus in prayer and in reading what he said. Because it's a relationship and I want this relationship to grow. So plan for today, a quick walk through the whole prayer, which we did. Jesus prays for his heart's desire, which we've just done. And then the Father's desire to be known, which is the last two verses. So having given attention to his own desire for us, Jesus turns to the desire of the Father. Let's just read those verses again, shall we? Verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, even if the world does not know you, I know you. And these ones know that you sent me. I made known to these ones your name. And I will continue to make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Well, before we go into the words here, there's some very interesting things that we see that Jesus is actually connecting with some things from the previous prayer. So we see glory, 
we've already mentioned that glory that you gave me is connected in here, my glory. But then we see some words. We see the word given, what Jesus is given to us. And that word I've highlighted there, that uh, in turquoise there, you can see, you gave me, that you gave me. So this is the, the, the give being expand. But then the, the last section really picks up on this no. So the world will know that you sent me. And so the whole theme here in verses 25 and 26 is knowing. The world does not know you. I know you. These ones know that you sent me. I made known to these ones your name and continue to make it known. And so this idea then we come to is making the Father known. Well, what does that mean to make the Father known? Uh, one other thing is that the name is referenced. Uh, your name. Your name is referenced here. And we also see that back um, uh, back a little earlier. Your name. Um, so the let's get let's look then at um, the uh, these verses in more detail. Now, the first thing I want to look at is the word righteous, a righteous father. And I want to look at what that means. And there's been a lot of misunderstanding about the word righteousness. Often it's being, it's understood as, as, um, um, just simply not sinning. Now, of course, that doesn't mean, make any sense to describe God the Father as not sinning because he's defined what sin is. And so, um, to transgress himself. It, it really, to say God is righteous doesn't mean that God doesn't sin. It means something different to that. In fact, all of righteousness should be defined a little bit differently. It should be defined relationally. Because in the Old Testament, righteousness is about keeping a relational commitment. Now, of course, for humans, it's faithfulness to the covenant. The unrighteous person breaks the covenant laws. And so for us, yes, it's sin because it's, but it's sin against God because he has made a covenant with us. But what does it mean then to have, for God to be righteous? What are we talking about here? God's righteousness is his faithfulness to those he has made promises to. So God's righteousness, it's still to do with keeping the covenant but it's he has made promises so we see very very commonly in the old testament something like psalm 71 in your righteousness deliver me and rescue me incline your ear to me and save me so god's righteousness is this um, faithfulness in saving them my mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all day and then verse 9 verse 18 so even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens, you who have done great things, O God, who is like you. So God is, the righteousness is the one who doesn't forsake his people, who stays true to his promises. So remember that, because when Jesus it calls him, he says, righteous father. This is the aspect that he's drawing our attention to when he, is, he says, these people know you or don't know you, but my people know you 
and they want to make you known. So this idea of making God known is connected deeply to the righteousness. This is so important. God wants this aspect of his character to be proclaimed because um, it is the ultimate hope, the victory over darkness. Um, So the other thing that we saw in that is references to God's name. And um, Jesus saying, let's just go back and, and look at those verses. These ones I know that you sent me, um, I made known to these ones your name. So your name uh, is important here. And so uh, this is, what does it mean, God's name? What does that mean? Well, this is also very important. When the Old Testament speaks of God's name, it means what he stands for. And two things in particular come out very, very many times as we look through the time God speaks about his name. The Hebrew words are chesed and emet, which you don't have to know Hebrew, but they they mean chesed means the kind of love which will never let you go. The kind of love which will never abandon you. And emet is, is truth, but it's truth like righteousness. It's justice. It's that's the aspect that it has. And we could uh, simplify that to say he's faithful and true. That could be a name that we give him. Um, But if I'm going to expand those two things, God's name is a love that will never abandon you, but love you to the end. And a passion for fairness and justice, particularly for those who cannot defend themselves. That is how God describes his name. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, seeing as this is central to our verses in John. Moses asked to see God's name. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's his name. It continues with our descriptions of it, more focusing on the justice. But this is God's name. This is how he defines himself, how he wants to be known. Psalm 109 also has a beautiful description. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on behalf, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. And that was like a, a like a way of deriding somebody. So here's somebody that needs God's justice. They need God to step out. Uh, they're, they're powerless. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. That's chesed. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. And this is God's hand in justice. Bring him out of the problems that he's within. So why is this so important? Why is it so important that God's name is brought forth, that's told, that's lifted up? Well, sometimes we use God's name as a representative for all that they stand for. Uh, back in um, in 1864, there was a Frenchman called Louis Pasteur, and he made one of the biggest breakthroughs ever in human health. He basically discovered what germs are 
and how to disinfect. And uh, he, uh, th there were diseases that were there that were horrific, that were passed on through cow's milk. And there were diseases uh, such as uh, listenosis, typhoid fever, tuberculosis, diphtheria, brucellosis, you know, pretty bad things. Uh, uh, tuberculosis killed a huge number of people. It was terrible. And he developed a process which uh, decontaminated the milk that was called pasteurizing after his name. And uh, this process saved the lives of millions of people. And if this name was trusted, they would be saved. Now, I want you to imagine that you're a public health official at that time and you've been working in one region of the country and you've been getting people to pasteurize and you've just been seeing transformation. And you move to another part of the country and people are laughing at the name of Louis Pasteur. You say, well, don't laugh. Like, that is life. Like, his name is life. Because his name and his process um, are inextricably connected together. So I'm trying to give you the idea that God's name is woven to who God is in his character and his character is the hope for humanity. And so it is so important that God's name is not despised. We should be concerned about the name of God because it is the only hope for mankind. There are such horrible distortions of God out there. The world doesn't even know him. They just know a caricature of him. And um, what God wants is for his name to be truly known. Because when it comes down to it, injustice and hatred, with the opposite of his name, are the root of just about all evil. And so what when God wants his name to be known is be, is because that is what can bring hope. But actually, it's even more than that, because, you know, it said earlier in Jesus' prayer, he said, to know you is life eternal. And actually, to know God's name means to know that him as a person and to know him is such a glorious thing. It's life eternal. It's so wonderful. And then Jesus ends by saying how this will be achieved how his name will be made known to this world. The way his name is to be made known, the end of verse 26, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I may be in them. Exactly the same message as we had last time. God's name is known through us because we carry his name. Wow. Wow. What a challenge. What a destiny. That is extraordinary that we are carrying. So, as I said before, I didn't make these uh, up. They're there in the text. There is it in the Greek. It's all there. Um, this is this is how this is formatted. And Jesus has structured this in this particular way. And I'd like to just uh, look at those two verses together with our are extra words in there that unpacks what they mean. O righteous father, or, or faithful father, we could translate it. O faithful father, even if the world does not know you, I know you. And these ones know 
that you sent me. I made known to these ones your name. I made known to these ones the love that never gives up and perfect justice for the oppressed. And I will continue to make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I may be in them. So as we come to the end, let's just look at our outline. We've been through a quick walk through the prayer of John 17. We've seen Jesus praying for his own heart's desire and then the Father's desire to be known. And so I'd like to say, how are we going to respond to this in conclusion? Well, I want to say our destiny is to receive and give divine love. Isn't that extraordinary? I'm, I mean, I'd read these verses before. I'd read these chapters before, but as I've studied them in the last few weeks, this has impacted me so powerfully and so deeply. My destiny is to receive Jesus' love with him forever and to reflect the love of the Father because he's in me. Wow. So, As I said earlier, we can respond to the first part, to Jesus' love, simply receive and believe his love. What pleased Jesus most while on earth was when people simply believed him. Jesus wants you to be with him, wants you with him. Spend time with him even now. But then how to respond to this second part? Having taken in this love of Jesus, give it out in God's name, because it is the only hope for the world. And because we are so in love with God that it is our joy for people to see his loveliness. We should be connected with this love of God and so, so excited and filled with the love that we have for him, from him, that we're receiving from him. We just, it's just our joy for people to see his loveliness, to tell people about him. And so my last slide here, um, just summarizing those two things, I want to say um, we are a gift from the Father to Jesus, beloved companions for him forever. He gives, Jesus gives our love back to the Father as a gift to be revealers of God's self-giving love to the world and to the universe. This is the highest expression of the Christian faith you will ever hear. More than that, it is the highest point of human existence. I am, as we come to the end of Jesus' prayer, I am so moved, I'm so touched, and I'm so challenged. I just feel I'm not, part of me feels I'm not up to it, but part of me says, but the whole point is as Jesus has been saying, I'm in you. You can do it because I'm in you. And so I'm just going to end in prayer for myself as well as all of us that this becomes our reality. Jesus, we thank you for this prayer. And we are amazed and touched beyond our understanding that you should have this love for us and want us to be with you. And when we see the destiny that you've called us to, we are awed 
that we should be given such a role. And yet, Lord, you've told us that your love is in us and the Father's love. And because we have that love, we can do it. So, Jesus, I ask you for myself, for all of these people here, that you would enable us to really reflect your love to this world. They will see us and they will see hope and they will see all of the names of the Father as they see us. We cannot do this, Jesus. Give it to us, we pray. Father, give us the prayer that Jesus has prayed in John 17. We pray it and ask that you would do it. For Jesus' name, because he prayed it. Amen.